Hello and welcome back to Should I Wish Someone Would Have Told Me, a series of conversations between my guests and I where we talk about all of the shit that we wish someone would have told us at some point or another. All topics, of course, relate back to the most important one, the topic of you. And it's been a while since I have uploaded a podcast version, um, as you know, or if you didn't, I do these recordings every Friday or Saturday, typically Fridays, on Instagram Live. And while we have been up to date there, I have not been diligent about making sure that I convert them for you to listen to. And I do apologize about that. So you are going to be experiencing more consistency with that. And I do appreciate and thank you for your patience with that. And thank you for listening. Our episode today is with Stephen. And He's been here before, if you've ever listened to anything um, that I have done, and he is great. Our topic today is race in America. And so I'm just going to go ahead and say all of the trigger warnings. So make sure that you take care of yourself and do what you need in terms of self-care and protection for your emotional and mental safety and health in terms of listening to this podcast. So we get into some topics. We also mention another trigger warning at the beginning of it. And we talk about things like what we didn't know, um, how we wish that we had been prepared, and also some of the viewpoints that we have in terms of race. And I'm very present to the fact that I am a white female. And so the conversation is primarily from Stephen's point of view as a black male. And it's long, it's good, it's touchy. So do make sure to take care of yourself and share this with anyone that you feel would benefit from having a listen. And if you are interested in having the conversation or continuing it, then do slide into our DMs. Our um, Instagrams are listed in the description. Stevens is Stephen Westbrook with three eyes, the third, and mine is soul searching and squats. So without further ado, let's talk about some shit that we wish someone would have told us about race in America. Okay, y'all. So today, a little late with the usual Friday, should I wish someone would have told me. However, we are going to be having a conversation today and there is Steven. So I guess let's start with all the trigger warnings. So just to anyone who is listening or watching, um, we're gonna be talking about race in America um, because there is a lot of shit going on right now. And so with that being said, I'm here to listen. So take it away. Um, I think it's not just, um, well, first of all, hey everybody. Good morning and happy Saturday. Um, you are all beautiful. And um, this is not directed by, uh, at any specific one person. Um, I think uh, it's more so um, not just a conversation about race in America, but it's about um, race and sex in America. Um, I think that, you know, so often we try to compartmentalize um negative ideation and um, uh, bigotry. And at the root of it all is bigotry. You know, whether it's targeted at 
black people, whether it's targeted at women, um, whether it's targeted at, at gay people, the, the, the root of it is bigotry and that it's wrong. And so, you know, um, the idea is like, let's have a conversation about bigotry and shit I wish I had known about it when I was growing up. Um, I wish that I had been better prepared for um, how me as a gay black man would be perceived in American society. Um, you know, my parents, they did their best to prepare me and make sure that I was well educated about how to navigate white spaces, how to navigate spaces, uh, straight heteronormative spaces. Um, but it's nothing like coming into that space and experiencing it for yourself. Um, and more so, how do you prepare for the trauma that ensues after the experience? You know, no one ever tells you how to deal with trauma, right? Um, there's always, how do you recover from it? How do you get over it? But it's never, how do you get through trauma in the midst of it, right? Because like, looking at um, what's going on in America, another black man was killed. Um, another young minority was killed. Um, six minority women were killed. Um, we have um, race issues with, you know, police across America. Um, and it's something that is continuously traumatic and it's not changing. Um, and it's like, how do you deal with that, you know, as it's ongoing? Like, how do you deal with the, how do you deal with the abuse in the middle of the abuse, you know? Um, and I think that's the, that's the thing that I, I would love to impart to young people um, on, on how, to, how to emotionally shield yourself from trauma. Um, I think like that's something that I've been working on myself is figuring out like how do I take care of myself in the middle of experience all this negative, um, these negative influences, this negative emotional energetic shift. You figure you get it through the news, you get it through social media. And because of social media, thank God for social media, everything's so much more visible, but now it's all it's almost too visible and too visceral. And it's so present now. And it's like, you wake up and it's like, the fuck? Like another, another one has happened. And it's like, how do you, it's like cutting a wound, cutting, cutting open your skin and then you, you have a wound. And then it's like, okay, time happens and you need to heal, it scabs over and then another cut to the same wound and it hurts so much more because it's like i thought we dealt with this shit already right um like me working with women me working at me as a coach working with my female athletes working with my female clients um i can empathize with the traumatic bullshit that women deal with um i can empathize a little bit because i, I kind of get it from men being in relationships with men but then also just from being in such pro close proximity to my female friends and to my clients men are assholes like as <laughs> it is I, I i am doing my best to be a better example of what manhood should look like but men are shit like and you know my goal is to educate men as much as possible on how to treat people um how to treat people well um, because we so often we we are selfish in our in our nature we are focused on us and we're not focused on like how it makes others feel like i can like one of the things that i try and do um when i'm looking at uh race relations between police and minorities is put myself in the shoes of the police officer and under why did you even why was that your response and 
I can understand the fear response because for so long they have been taught to fear African-American males. Um, there's an ideology that, about African-American males. Even when that African-American male does not fit categorically the stereotype, you make a generalization against all African-American males and then you react. And it's like, okay, how about we focus on the root cause of that negative ideation? It doesn't start with the with just the police academy, it starts culturally, it starts in your home. So it's like, okay, if we take it all the way back to before that police officer became a police officer and we looked at their upbringing, how many of them had a diverse interaction with minority individuals? They don't. And so they don't know how to interact with black people. They don't know how to interact with minorities. They damn sure don't know how to interact with women because they come from a patriarchal, um, environment that dictates that women are second class and that they're supposed to be you know silent so then you have this whole you have this complete breakdown um of a of a social character development and then you get into this um this 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 group of individuals that that all have the same upbringing they all have the same ideology and it's like it's 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 exasperated. Now it's like, okay, I need to have the ideals that this environment has. So now you, it's just, it's just exacerbating what was already there. So like, I get the whole point of defunding the police. I'm, I, I feel like, yes, we should take more money to properly educate the police and to also build up infrastructure for the cities, but more so let's make they ass go to counseling and let's break down some traumatic um, barriers that keep them from, um, actually utilizing the skills that they've been trained to to use. Because so often I feel like we give people skills, um, we don't teach them how to utilize them by making it representative of their past experiences. Like, it's like soldiers, like with the US military. We train these kids to kill, but we don't look at the fact that they may have had a post-traumatic, they might be still, they might be dealing with post-traumatic stress from trauma in their home, trauma in their child life, in their, in their, in their childhood. So now you're exacerbating an issue where they have past childhood trauma. They ha they may have been experienced, they may have experienced domestic abuse, domestic violence. Now you're giving them a gun and you're telling them to go kill people. So now you're just exacerbating all that negative ideation, that negative feeling. And then they get out of the military and they have all this self-loathing because of the trauma that they experienced as a child, the trauma that they experienced from having to honor their, their, their country. And we don't give them the proper tools on how to deal with stress now by any means am i am i validating any of the the harm that police cause there are some serious significant issues that need to occur within police reform but what i say is i think it's a matter of really focusing on fixing our culture fix our culture which is the root problem because we have a bunch of people with an ideation um that minorities are less than human and they don't deserve the same rights as as others. And so we fix that, then we can fix police reform because you figure you have all these old, I don't wanna see this all just old white men because you have some black men that are at the top of the chain as well, um, that are at the top of the fraternal, the fraternal order of police and they have the position and authority to make change. You have a bunch of people who buy into a ideology that is just untrue. And so it's a matter of shifting our culture 
which shifts policy and institution. But so much of America is so reluctant to change because it boils down to power and money. So, you know, I, I definitely wish someone would have told me this is the bullshit you're going to deal with as an adult. Like every generation has its bullshit to deal with. And it's just a matter of, you know, how you deal with it. Nobody had, nobody taught us how to deal with trauma. Yeah. Yeah, I think that you made a lot of good points in terms of everything that you said. And particularly when you mentioned about like, we give people tools, but we don't teach them how to use them based on their like previous traumas and experiences because you're exactly right. And I think that you're right. Like no one does teach us how to deal with it in the moment. No one does, you know, it's not even been until recently that people taught us how to deal with trauma, like in the aftermath. Right. Right. And so even with that, it doesn't change the intensity of the experience. However, if we were prepared, if we had some notion as to like what to do, then I do think that would kind of like set us up for, you know, having like a more logical reaction to it because we kind of like know what to expect. It's just like preparation for anything, right? And obviously emotions are always gonna get involved, but if someone kind of told us that um, this is like, you know, what's gonna happen, like here's some tools that you can use like in the moment to kind of like ground yourself or whatever the case may be, then yeah, I think that that definitely would have like played a part in it. And I know that you mentioned you've been working yourself in terms of like how to like deal because we're in the midst of it. Like it's it's been a year and in the past like few months, in the past week, we've really like seen some shit. Yeah. And I think that, you know, this is like in the moment, this is like us in the midst of it. And so with that being said, like what are some things that you have learned as being, you know, ways of self-regulating, like self-soothing in that capacity? Um, so I'm a very sensitive person. So um, like things like that, like things like um, the situation with, um, I think of all the traumatic experiences that have occurred during the pandemic, um, the thing that affects me the most, this lighting sucks, I'm sorry. <sighs> all right, maybe that's a little better. Um, all the things that have really affected me, um, the Ahmad Arbery situation, like, really threw me. Um, and it, at first, it was just like, you know, the the media narrative was like, okay, you got this black guy who's running around a neighborhood, and he's casing a neighborhood, and these two white men were protecting their neighborhood, and it's like, we're so conditioned to that being a situation, and uh, being okay with it and then but something just did not sit right in my spirit I was like that just don't sound right I'm like mm, that ain't that ain't right the owner was like nah that ain't really what happened and then it came out that they really chased this kid down and they they shot him in cold blood like they and then they videotaped it like like it was sport and it brought back all these feelings that I had when I was growing up, like navigating white spaces and, and being gay and navigating white spaces, like learning that, you know, it's some things that you're just not going to be able to do. And you're just some places you're not going to be able to go because of the color of your skin and who you choose to love. And so they just comp these issues compounded one another and more so for me, because running is my passion. Like it is, it is 
the totality who I am. Um, movement is is who I am, and so like the 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 main movement platform for me is running. Um, it is how I how I maintain my wellness and my my emotional sanity, but also my physical wellness. Um, and so I was scared to go outside for like two months, and you know my mom was like, both my parents were like, why are you not going running? I would get up every morning. 5.30, 6 a.m., go run for an hour, and then come back, have breakfast. And my parents were like, what are you doing here? And I'm like, um, I, I just don't feel like going running. And then they, then it started to, it, it lasted for a long period of time. My parents was like, is this about the Amar Arbery thing? And I was like, yeah. I was like, honestly, I'm fearful to go outside. It's like, I don't want to be perceived as a threat. Like, mind you, I'm in full, when I get dressed to go running, I'm in like full Nike regalia. So you know damn well I'm like going running. You know, tights bright colors you know the light the, the 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 reflective everything and i look like a runner i don't look like a threat but because of my skin i'm perceived as a threat and it's like it's nothing that i can do about how you perceive me and that's the most frustrating part because i can't control how you see me and i think that i think that's the the hard part for people of color is that we can't control how we can control a lot of things we can control our behavior um, we can control how we dress. We can control the jobs that we take. We can, con we can control our community. We can control a lot of things, but we cannot control how you perceive us. Uh, we cannot control what you think. And so the hard part is like, how do you, how do you interact in a social environment that no matter what you do, you're always going to perceive, be perceived as, as wrong or evil or less than. And that's the frustrating part. And I, you know, I wish my parents had prepared me more for that. Um, because that's the, that's the challenging part. Like nothing that Amar Arbery could have done would have changed their perception of, of him. Like they had it in their head that this was a bad kid and that they wanted to harm him. And they felt like it was their right to do so. See, for me, it's not just the fact that I can't change your your negative ideation about me, but it's the moral high ground that you have towards me. Like, that throws me. It's the moral high ground that, that I'm like, okay, so... You, you just assume that you 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 have the right of way to do as you please with with my body and and I think that's the thing that throws me you know and my parents always taught me you know give respect you get respect do unto others and as you would want them to do unto you and you know my mom always says like she's like Steve you live in a fantasy because you perceive that people are going to treat you the way that you treat them and I do my best to treat people with honor and respect and, like, really care for them. Like, I fuck up. I have my moments. Like, I could be a trashy person. You know, I have my trashy moments. Because um, all people are trash at some point in time. But um, I really do try to treat people how I would want them to treat me. And for me to do so, for me to give and, and, and without the ex expectation to get it back, but then for you definitely not to give it back and for you to treat me even less than, even though it's unwarranted, that's the thing that throws me. And so, you know, um, I wish that my parents had taught me better techniques on how to deal with that, that with, with the response to the world. Um, and it's not just America, just looking at race relations of, of with black people and gay people across the world, it's an issue. And it's not just, it's, and it's not just, I think colorism is a big, is a big, 
part of it. Because if you look at Asian cultures, you know, the darker your skin, you know, the more black your features, the more poorly you're treated. It's the same thing in India with the caste system. And, you know, white people do it to other white people. If your skin is too dark, you know, now it's okay because everybody wants to be tanned. But, you know, 20 years ago, if your skin was too dark, if you weren't blonde hair, blue eyes, and you weren't super fair, you know, you were considered less than. And so the issue for me is like, how do you deal with a culture that is so hell bent on colorism and that the darker your skin color, the more negatively you're perceived. And I could be the best person. Some of the, some, the, some of the best people are, are just regular people, regardless of what their skin looks like, but you're going to have an automatic perception based on how I look. And that, that's the hard part. That's the hurtful part. And so, you know, um, like one of the things I try and do with my students is to, is to be conscious of their behavior um, and conscious of their bias um, and conscious of privilege, you know, because so often, um, like I have my privilege. So like, I am like, my mom and I were talking about this. There's a pretty privilege. The more attractive you are, you're, if you're attractive, you get a lot more than someone who is perceived as unattractive. And that's all, attractiveness is all based on perception. For some reason, um, the, the ideology that the more uh, aesthetically balanced your face is, the more attractive you are, right? So, which is just like bullshit. Like that makes no sense because you have people who, who should be all like fucked up and like flop side and then they like, they're fucking beautiful. And so it's like, we come up with these these asinine formulas of how to perceive people and that it dictates their behavior and their lived experience. And then we start to build these narratives in our mind based off of what we perceive. Like I do it, like, you know, I assume like, I, like, I'm, like I said, I can be trashy. I assume like guys that are attractive are gonna be the better guys when they're usually not, they're trash. Like they're not. <laughs> I can tell you that. Guys, it's like, God damn it. Like, why can't you just be attractive and nice and be a decent guy? They tend to be like shitty, like girls too. Girls too. Like you assume, we assume that the more beautiful you are, the nicer you are. And it's, it's so often, it's the opposite. And it's like, we have to reassess our cultural values. Yes cultural perceptions and how we see people and 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 just accept people as they are. I was talking to one of my friends and he was like, Steve, you need to treat people based on the energy that they give you. And so, you know, I feel like with the police, so often they're ready to fight. They're not like they come to the they come to the door aggressive. Like um there was a fire. Um somebody car like pretty much exploded down the street from my house. And so they were like knocking on the doors and like um addressing everybody and the police officer officer knocked on the door i opened the door no i didn't know what was going on i said can i help you and he was like you don't smell the smoke and you don't see the i said whoa who are you talking to you stepped on my shit i got the right to do what the fuck i want to do on this this is mine so how about you take a step back you relax yourself and you calm down tell me what the hell is going on and so may i ask was he white no he's black and so this is the thing. This is my thing. It's not an issue of white police officers. Like, I feel like white police officers are the ones that get the most slack because people make it a race issue. It is, it is partially that, but it's an issue with police. Because I honestly, the issue that I have with the police, I get more shit from black female cops than I do from white cops. And I'm like, 
this. We the same. Why are you giving me grief? And then I, I've gotten pulled over. And this is the crazy thing. Like, I feel like the world is so ass backwards. It's people that don't have their license, don't have their registration, don't have insurance. And they just be riding on the glory. I got license. I got insurance. I got, I got, I got everything. Everything's supposed to be right. I get pulled over because of you perceive that one of my taillights is out. So when I show you that the taillights is out, it's no apology. It's just, oh, well, just make sure that, you know, your shit is right. And it's like, wait a minute, you fucked up and now you made, you putting it on me. And so for me, it's like, I don't see it as an issue with just white police officers. I see it as an issue with police as a whole. And there's this, I feel like police officers are so ready. They be on go from the gate. I don't know if they have like a pep talk before they shift start and they like, let's go, let's go, let's, 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 ah. and I'm like, you know, and the, 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 my thing is like, I have rarely come in contact with police officers that were in a relaxed, easy state and that they were kind. Most of them, they'd be on go. They'd be extra. I'd be like, what, what is you on? And, you know, I, I feel like there definitely has to, and I understand the nature of their job is dangerous. You know, it's the same with like the military. Like I would, I'm very cautious with the things that I say to my friends who have been in the Marines. I'm cautious of my language because I know that it can trigger um, past trauma. Um, and so I do, ha I have one friend, well, that's not true. I have, I have like two or three friends who are police officers um, who are high up they're not like beat cops. And so their demeanor is a little bit different because they're not on the street. Um, but I am learning to understand what police officers go through. Um, it is a traumatic, depending on where you're at. I feel like if you in rural areas where shit don't happen, you don't really need to have that type of energy. But like, if you're in an urban environment, I can understand the danger that ensues with being a police officer, but that does not give you a right to be on go all the time. I feel like if the if the reaction is that you're afraid and you're fearful, then you need to say, I'm fearful. I need help. I need support. And you should not be on the job if you're fearful of doing your job. That's like being a doctor. If you're scared to cut somebody open and fix their heart, I don't want you working on my heart. Sit your ass down and go get the teeth. Because my thing is like, when you're fearful, you make mistakes. It's the same thing as a coach. Like, if you're fearful to coach somebody through a specific movement, the rule of thumb is that you don't do that movement. You practice it on yourself until you understand the cueing, the mechanics, the physiology behind it. And then you ease into that practice with your client. You don't just jump full force into it because you've been given the information. And that's a whole nother thing about like shitty trainers because they just get the information and they just want to go haywire with it. They like, I'm a trainer now, so I'm just going to teach you everything that the book says. No. That's what we're not going to do. Um, practice. It takes practice. It takes time. It takes effort. Um, and I feel like we're not preparing these police officers for the work that they're supposed to do. Because the whole point is to protect and serve. I don't see any service being done. A bullet, to the, a bullet is not service. I, I don't want to be served with a bullet. But it seems like that is their go-to. It's like, you know what? I, I'm just going to I'm, I'm 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 harm you. And, you know my mom tried to my mom tried to have the conversation with me but we got into a nasty argument because she was like well you have to understand as a black woman having two black sons 
she's fearful for our lives every time we leave the house when we're like when i don't when i didn't live at home like I'm, i've been home for the last year during the pandemic but i lived in center city all types of shit going on in center city i lived in center city south so in philadelphia like you just like two clicks from the hood so you know um she was she prayed all the time she's always calling me she, she called me at every every day at nine o'clock what are you doing you know what I'm doing. I'm doing the same thing I was doing yesterday, teaching class. But for her, the fear was waking up and not knowing if her son was alive because she knows what happens to young black men in America. And for me, I was like, well, it's different for you because you can get away with a little bit more as a woman. Like you can assuage a, a cop a little bit more than a, a man can. And, you know, being a black man, I was like, it's a target on my back every day. Like, I did everything right. I got two bachelor's degrees. I got a master's degree. I got multiple certifications. I've never been arrested. I've never done, I, I, I don't do drugs. I, I, I barely drink. I do everything that society says I'm supposed to do. I am what you would consider a model minority. But that does not, the fact that they don't see that I'm a model minority. All they see is this. They see my brown skin and they say, you know what? He's a threat. And that is the fucked up part. That is what they did not prepare me for. Because they just said, like, all right, do your job. Be a good student. Get a good job. Go to work every day. Don't handle baby mamas. Um, don't get no STDs. <laughs> I did all that. I did everything that I was supposed to do. And I still am in danger of losing my life just because of how I look. And that is the hard part. I think how, I mean... How, like, would someone, like, prepare you for that? Like, that that's overwhelming. Like, to say, like, you know what? No matter how hard you try, like, you check all these boxes, you do all these things. And at the end of the day, yeah, like, to your point, like, it doesn't matter. And so I think that that, I mean, obviously, I don't, I don't know. But I think that that seems like a very overwhelming concept. And, like, you know, how do I, how am I expected to get ahead then? Like, why even bother kind of thing is how right. I would. And I think in terms of like some shit that I wish someone would have told me is I didn't recognize that racism was a thing, I think, growing up. And that sounds ignorant. And I'm very present to that. I'm from a very small town. And I, you know, grew up with a lot of white people. I remember there were two black people in my high school. And that, you know, they they were older and so they graduated like moved away like when i was like a freshman like that was like their senior year and you know i didn't i didn't see a lot and so i was present to the fact that they weren't considered from like what i could tell like they weren't considered like you know they anyone who was black like had like that was like those group of friends and so i don't think that i knew how systemic it was until recently in terms of like the past when I moved away I always felt this place was very like small-minded and when I moved away I moved to South Florida I spent a decade there and I recognized that like oh like that's not the way that it is and that really opened my eyes to a lot of things and so when I moved back to North Carolina it was very much a situation where I was like, wait, people are saying that shit? Like, that's okay? Like, wh how is this? Like, what the, what the fuck? And it was very, it was a very rude awakening. And I think that some shit that I wish that I would have been told 
was just that like this is a very systemic problem and to your point it is you know facing multiple areas it's facing race it's facing sexuality it's facing um gender it's facing like different cultural backgrounds the colorism like all of these things like it's so deeply ingrained into our society that it's overwhelming and it's like where do we start to make changes as a fucking society as americans because at the end of the day like you know we're all from here to your point about colorism and you're like oh it's not really a thing anymore in terms of like white people so recently not recently but probably it i would have been i would say like five or so years ago my someone that i know was um i'm not going to give like specifics at all but someone that i know um was getting gas in like the town that we live in and their son was with them and someone came up to them and told them like they need to go back to mexico so this is someone who's from like new jersey like italian new jersey does not speak spanish and like they were still confronted with this their child also not hispanic the father is japanese and the child honestly he kind of has features like me and so like i was like how can people say these things and like you it's not even based it's exactly what you said it's their perception and i think that what i feel is true in terms of obviously like we have conditions we have our you know, or have conditioning excuse me we have you know our all our past traumas and at the same time i think that no one has ever really taught us as individuals as you know kids growing up how to figure out who it is that we are and how to be like accepting of not only our own flaws and like our own like personhood but also of like the differences of others and so we're all just kind of like you know whenever you are in these like smaller towns you're going with the flow of what everyone else says right because you don't know any different i remember when i moved back here i was like driving through and i'm like these people like live so far away like this rural area that they don't know any differently they think that this is just how life is they like you said like haven't ever seen you know like someone who isn't the same skin color as them i remember watching an interview where lebron james said that basketball was the first time he ever you know interacted with a white person that he was very much like no you stay away from them and like to think that or to know that we are in a country where there's so much diversity yet we're so divided is a very concerning thing and to the point of what i mentioned earlier regarding overwhelm it's like how do we even start to make these changes and i think that the the first thing that i always suggest to others and anyone who has the same question is like it starts with you like it starts with like who's around you it starts with the things you say whenever you hear a joke do you just like the person the stink eye or do you tell someone like hey that's wrong like this is why like you know how are you showing up and that's not something that's always easy to do um to your point about we see so much in terms of shit like something else happened today we've had like 43 47 shootings in the last month like some crazy number like i was looking at it last night actually and i, I can't remember if it was 43 or 47 but yeah like we're in the midst of this trauma and that that's in the midst of a pandemic and it's a lot and <laughs> it's to the point where yeah like i mean we're we're beyond enough is enough like it's it's like where how do we how do we fix this how do we make amends 
And I think that the police, to your point about how we, you know, they, they kind of like already like from the go, as soon as like they punch in, it's like they put on like their police hat and they have this attitude about them. And I think that, I think that the organization themselves, you know, the police was not created necessarily to protect and to serve. It was created, you know, to like mitigate or to, to control black people. Oh, and I think that exactly what it, that's like, like there are historical contexts of how the, the Irish and urban environments were militarized and trained to keep order and control for free blacks. So, you know, nothing has changed about the role of police in relation to black people from the time that they were instituted. So like, yes, there's an institutional issue with the police. Um, and then there's also the cultural bias um, within people. Um, like they need to have more rigorous tests um, for cultural bias. Like if you have cultural bias, you should not be a police officer. Now, cultural bias can develop from experience. Like you're gonna have your own, ex you're gonna have your own cultural bias. I got cultural bias, everybody has cultural bias. Um, like I have certain clients that I prefer to work with. I, well, I, 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 I really don't care when it comes to race. I I, I prefer to work with women because um, men are dumb. Um, and women, y'all check clear, y'all pay on time. Um, <laughs> like y'all like that women are just the shit okay i love women so like it women are just easier to work with um so we all have some sort of cultural bias we all choose who who we choose to work with and live with and part you know the the environment that we choose to find ourselves in um and so like if i was hired as a police officer they need to know, okay, Steven has some bias towards men. I probably would be a little bit more aggressive with men because I feel like men are dickheads. So like, and I would probably like, like if, if I saw two cars speeding down the road and it was like, and they're the same color and it was like suspects heading down I-95, same color, same car. Um, I see men and I see women. I'm gonna pull the man over. <laughs> I'm honest because I, because I have bias. I'm just assuming like the man did it. Now I could care less if he white or black. I'm a, if you're a white guy, if it's white women and white men, if it's a black woman, <laughs> you know, just robbed a bank and a, and a black guy and a white guy, you know, and they same in the same car and they both speed, I'm gonna pull the white guy over simply because he's a man. But I have bias. I acknowledge my bias. And I also know that, okay, I should not be doing this job if I have bias. I recognize that I am tentative. I am, I, I acknowledge my bias when it comes to men. I'm tentative with working with men because one, there's always ego and challenge when it comes to working with men. Bro, you would not be coming to me if you did not need my help and my expertise. So just listen to what I'm telling Shut the fuck up. Listen to what I'm saying and do it. Like, so I tend to not work with men because of my past experiences. If you are a person who is interested in becoming a police officer and you know that you have a negative ideation to blacks or Hispanics, then you should not be a police officer because ideally you're gonna run into those environments, especially if you live in an urban city. Like my whole thing is like white police officers that live in Philadelphia, you already have a negative ideation based on the interactions that you have, especially if you grew up or especially white Italian people that have lived in South Philly. Like everybody knows white South Philly is 
whites out Philly. It, it is what it is. You know, they got their issues just like Asian South Philly, just like Black South Philly. They all have their issues. They all have their biases against one another. So if I'm a Black cop from South Philly and I got bias towards white Italians and Asians in South Philly and they put me in South Philly, I'm going to be a jackass and I'm probably going to be a dick towards the communities that I have an issue with. And that is the problem. It's like, okay, you need to do psych profiling on these individuals who are becoming police officers because they could they can literally kill somebody because of bias and not because of wrongdoing. And even so, even if they did something wrong, you are not a lawyer. You are not you are you're not the totality of the law. And I think the issue is that the cop, cops think they're the to, the totality of the law. I had the mis I've made the mistake of dating two cops. <sighs> They was crazy. The sex was good, but they were crazy. They were crazy, crazy, okay? Crazy. I don't even know why I dated a cop. Uh, he was hot. I was at a bar. It was like, all right, you know, danger. Why not do it? And then he turned out to be like a total lunatic, like wanted to control everything. He was just like, he was so hell-bent on like, like he would like pop up on me at work and like pop up at my house. And I'm like, first thing, don't fuck with my money at all that's a problem do not pop up at my job that will get you cussed all the way out um but then you popping up at my house like he popped up one he popped up at my house one time he thought somebody was in the house with me it was my fucking sister and so my sister who was licensed to carry she pulled a gun on him she was she was like what are you doing what you doing too much um so <laughs> my life is a little crazy y'all um but I'm realizing that, you know, after having that interaction and, and hearing their side of the things, hearing their side of the interactions as police officers coming in contact with potential danger, there is a, a high fear aspect to it. But like I said, you should not be doing that job if you cannot control your anxiety. And if you're, and also the people that are in charge of you, they should not be putting you in a position where if you're fearful that they, that it's okay to, 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 to go into that space fearfully. That's like that's like doctors being cleared when they don't have full confidence going into surgery. Right. Now, right. you are aware that things could happen when you go into surgery. Fuck-ups happen, make mistakes happen. But you do your research, you prepare, you practice. You go into these you go in as prepared as possible. And the problem is that they're not prepared. They go into these situations with people of color. They go into these situations with minorities. And these cops are unprepared. They go through, who the fuck goes through a six? I, my certifications to train people last six months. So why would you think that training the police officers for six months is going to prepare them to deal with, tr like, trauma? Because most of the time when police are called, it's because of trauma. It's because of domestic violence. It's because of violence in the schools. It's because of uh, street violence. Most of that, the root cause of the issues in minority communities is due to trauma. And so if you're not trained on how to, like we, we had a session with Journey where they told us, they said, if you are not trauma informed, you should not be doing trauma coaching. There are resources that can support you and what you're doing. And if you are a police officer who is not trauma informed, you don't know the community that you're working in, you don't care to get to know the community leaders and the moms and the dads and like really get to know these kids, you can't police this community. Right. 
And that's the problem. It's like you're sending people in that come from out of out of you got police officers from out of state because Philadelphia is one of the highest paying um, police systems in America. So you got people coming from out of uh, out of state coming into Philadelphia being police officers and they don't know anything about Philadelphia. Right. And you yeah. can't police me if you don't know my community. Yeah, I think that's a good point. It's not. <laughs> it's literal policing and not like actually caretaking and protecting and serving for like the community that they're in and something that i have like a major problem with is because yeah like we can talk about the training we can talk about you know putting people in the right places and communities and i find it interesting i just posted you know some some side-by-side -side examples on my stories that some an artist had done um that like that like old white guy like hit a cop in the face with a hammer and like didn't get shot. Like all these like white people who, I mean, I don't personally coming from like what I'm observing, obviously like I'm not a cop. Um, like there's a big discrepancy in between the way that these situations are handled with like unarmed black people and like white people who hit someone in the head had just with a hammer hit a cop in the head with a hammer drove them like drug them with their car and then we have the ones that have done like mass shootings that they like took to burger king and like the fedex guy like well he killed himself but i mean i think that there's clearly i looked this statistic up there i think that we as a society have done a disservice to our men in general because the people who have done these shootings from i believe it was i looked it up it was like 92 to um 2021 like march 116 of these mass shootings were done by men three of them were done by women one of them was done by like a male and a female and so i think that like the numbers not to get into the statistics but i think that there is a concern regarding how the our society is raising men and i didn't look up like the racial like the races of the the people but um of those men but like i think that it says a lot you know why? Yeah. You know why um, the men in our country are fucked up? Because they mamas and their daddies ain't whoop their ass. Let me tell you something. If my parents got a whiff of some shit, some fuck shit that I did, I got an ass whooping. Now, I rarely had to get an ass whooping when I was younger. And yes, I am I am all for corporal punishment. Beat that ass. Because, um, like, if my parents, if I got brought home by the police, my parents would whoop my ass out in the street in front of the police. And then they probably would have been like, here, take it back. My parents did not play that. My parents were... Now, I, I was fortunate enough to grow up in a household um, where I had a mom and a dad. Um, my biological father was present. Um, so I had a very big support system. But know that because I had all those people present, there were multiple ass whoopings that were handed out when I got in trouble. I got it from my, fa my biological father, my stepfather, my mother, my grandparents, like it was a community of ass whoopings just going around. So it was just like, you did some fuck shit, everybody's spanking that ass. And it kept me out of trouble. It kept me more inclined to do the right thing. And the problem is that there's, there's a breakdown within the family. And we're not just talking about, we're not talking about the black community. We're talking about the breakdown of families in America, period. Men do not hold themselves accountable and are not responsible for their families. And I'm not just saying man as the head because so often Christians want to say, man is the head um, and, and woman listen to your husband. But the Bible also says that man should honor his wife and you honor your wife 
by listening to her and treating her with respect. The Bible says that you treat your wife as Christ uh, cared for the church. So there's a, there's a high level of respect that comes when it comes to a man and his wife. Secondarily, the Bible says that children honor your mother and father that that days may be long on the earth. But it also says that parents provoke not your children to anger. So when it comes to family, there is reciprocity and equity that is required for a healthy family unit. And typically that does not occur. My parents, when I was growing up, they allowed us a little bit of communication like a little bit of back talk to like get our points out but it was it was limited but they still heard us they had the forum for us to to talk to them the problem is so often that families don't talk enough they don't engage enough and just because you grow up in a household with a father does not mean that you're going to be better off you need a father that is intentional and present and presence requires that that dad is checking up on you. He is checking the shit out of you when you do some fuck shit. He is present. He is caring. Like my parents, they worked a lot. They weren't always able to be at every track meet. They weren't able to be at every event, but they paid for every event. They were talking to my professors. They were talking to my coaches. They made sure I had what I needed. They were giving me pep talks. They were dropping food off. Like my parents couldn't come to my collegiate events, but my mom kept my fridge stocked with food. She did all my grocery shopping. She did my laundry. So like in, in some areas, I had to recognize, I was like, all right, I didn't have everything that I wanted, but I had everything that I needed. And a lot of times these family units, they aren't providing what is needed to these kids. So they grow up wanting. So a lot of times, like people like to talk about the Fraternal Order of Police as like a a boys club. And that's exactly what it is because you have these men that are searching for something that they did not get at home. And the reason why there's that cone of silence and nobody talks about anything, why the police, like when bad shit happens, they don't, they don't, uh, they don't snitch on one another is because that's their family. That's all they have. And I'm not, I'm not justifying it. I'm just stating facts about the culture. And the problem is if these fathers, white, black, Puerto Rican, Asian, if these fathers were more present in their home and whooping that ass, they would be more inclined to do less fuck shit. Because I guarantee you, if I was a cop, I probably wouldn't even carry a gun. I would have a belt and I would just be beating the shit out of everybody. Oh, you doing some fuck shit on the street? Get your ass off the corner. Take your ass home. And I'll take you to your mom's house and I'll be like, I spanked your kid's ass. And this is it's better than a bullet. An ass whooping is better than a bullet. And I truly believe that if we thought about how we cared about these kids and like how we talked to them, a lot of times, like kids like discipline, they like structure. And the problem is that there's no structure, there's no discipline in these homes. And it's not because mothers don't give it to them. It's not because these single parent households don't give it to them. It's just because it is a lot raising a child. It, it is not just one person. I don't care if you gay and it's two dads or you gay and it's two moms. It takes two people to raise a child because somebody going to tap out at some point and that other person will have to tap in. And there was plenty of times my parents was just like, oh, Stephen and his mood again. And I need a moment. I need a break. And so I'm a lot. I'm a lot to do it. I'm a Leo. I'm super extra. I'm super grandiose. And I am like super fucking sensitive. So my parents are just like, oh, your son, get your son. Um, I got that. Your daughter. Your yeah. daughter. And so a lot of, and then sometimes my parents was like, get your grandchild. And it was send me away for the weekend because it is not just, nobody can do this alone. And we, an American society lives this bullshit lie that, oh, I put myself up by my bootstraps. I did it by myself. Nobody did it by themselves. 
problem is that we have these maladaptive, malformed uh, communities that aren't holding us accountable. The police, if, if you want to really like tackle um, police reform, you need to reform the Fraternal Order of Police. That is the biggest thing because that is the family unit that dictates everything that goes on in police reform. And if you get the Fraternal Order of Police to buy into the process of being more trauma-informed, being more conscious of the communities that you're policing, and it's not policing, it's the communities that you're serving. If you're more informed about the communities that you're serving and you're more conscious of the past traumas and the shit that they're dealing with, that makes you more inclined to think and, re and react differently. If you're just dealing with, if you, I swear to God, they go in and they're just like, all right, we're going to get the, we, we're going to deal with these people. They use another term. We're going to deal with these people. Um, and we need to pump ourselves up on how we deal with them. I got, I got into a car accident and I got into a fight with the, the, uh, the other driver. And so when I reported it to the police, they were just like, all right, and. Like, and real, like, real nasty and aggressive about it. They was like, what the fuck you want us to do? I'm like, do your fucking job, dog. Like, so then I get agitated and aggressive. They get agitated and aggressive. And I'm like, how you mad at me because you being disrespectful and you coming at me aggressively? And so it's like they have this visage or a bravado and aggression in order to deal with people. But I'm like, that's not service. Right. definitely not customer service like you're here to serve and it's not serve me you're just here to serve to do a job it's just you're no different from a waiter in the same way that you take an order and then you and you you serve the order when you fuck up you make amends you go bring me another plate if you fuck up as a police officer you gotta make amends and so like the whole idea that they don't have to serve time for them fucking up like um officer chauvin you fucked up you got to do time. I don't understand. If he was, and the, the argument is if a doctor is held accountable for killing somebody and it was a mistake. And even if it was just like, they, they, it was some undiagnosed shit. It's plenty of people that have died going into open heart surgery and they weren't unaware of a, that they had DVT, like a, a blood, a blood clotting issue, like, or history of blood clots or that there's a, they're, they're pre ex, predisposed to blood clots. And then they have a blood clot and, fucking aneurysm they have a stroke and they die like it's not their fault that's that person's biology but because you didn't do the research and you weren't effective in it you getting blamed for it so why would you think that you as a police officer you hold your knee over somebody's neck regardless of whether he had a shitty car and he, he was having heart issues from the fumes you did a fuck shit job so you got to be responsible for it yeah. like if I, if I, this is my thing, everybody is held accountable to a standard of fuck shit, except the police. If I train a client and I injure that client, I am a liable. My insurance is going to get hit. I may lose my job. I might even lose my licenses and my certifications because I made a mistake. And that is the repercussions. That is, that, is, that is the balance between accountability and responsibility. And that is what is not being taught. And 
through the police academy. That's not what's taught within the Fraternal Order of Police. If you started saying, look, we're going to start suing the shit out of y'all. We're going to start locking y'all the fuck up because y'all not beat, y'all not holding them accountable. And I don't mean them little peons that be on the street. I mean, start locking up these, these senior leaders, these chief of police, um, these executive leaders, lock their ass up. The more they start locking up these senior leaders, all that shit will trickle down because it's like when, um, when the fuck shit is happening at a school and the dean get fired and the presidents get fired over like sexual assault cases and uh, drug shit that be going on on campus and rape and all that other shit. When all that shit happens and the, the, the president resigns and they get sued and all that fuck shit happens, everybody else start to get in line because they're like, oh, they're serious. See, the problem is we haven't really been serious about police reform. We haven't gone after these leaders that like, all right, George, the, the officer Sherwin, he's a senior officer. Who's his boss? Because if they sue the shit out of his boss, they fire him, they take his fucking pension. And they say, look, you're just as responsible as this guy was because you trained him. A lot of fuck shit would stop. A lot of the bad stuff that happens would stop. It's like me having, an, having a business. I train an employee. My employee injures a client. They're not going to sue the, the employee. They're going to sue me. Why? Because it's my shit. And I train them. Therefore, I'm reliable, I'm responsible, and I'm accountable. And the accountability of it is saying, you know what? I fucked up. Now I got to pay. That's what accountability is. And so often, America thrives on this patriarchy and uh, this, they thrive on the patriarchy and they, they thrive on the dollar. And it's like, all right, well, we're going to let the men get away and we're going to pay. No. If I guarantee you, if we were just as penal as some of these other countries are and punitive as some of these other countries are, they, they wouldn't do all the stuff that they're doing. And the thing that kills me, um, I feel like um, the female officer that just got arrested or, or is, is going through trial, they're going to ragtag that ass and they're going to drag her through the mud because she's a woman. Now, regardless of the fact she did, she fucked up. That's not the, the point. I'm not saying that she did not fuck up, but I'm saying they're going to, they're going to drag her worse than they're going to drag Chauvin simply well, because she's a woman. I don't know if that's, I agree with that because like think about Bodum Jean, like she got off the hook, <clears throat> shot him in his house. And so, yeah, I don't know if I agree that like they're gonna like. Let, I mean, I don't think. I, well, in the sense of, in the sense of, I think that she'll probably get. She probably will get off. She probably will get off because she's a white woman. But I think it. I think that they're gonna drag her more than they drag Chauvin because she's a woman. I feel like that. I feel like. I feel like like women and minority is is white men is white women and then it's everybody else and when everybody else fucks up. It's super bad. But when white men fuck up, it ain't that bad. And it's just like, ah, slap on the wrist. But everybody else gets it shitty except for them. I mean, time will tell. She's already resigned. Time will tell. Yeah, I mean, I hope that something, I mean, not that I'm like wishing ill on anyone, but they do need to be held accountable for, for their actions. And that goes from everyone from this lady that like mistook her gun for a taser, which I don't believe. And then you know Ahmaud Arbery's fucking murderers like Derek Chauvin all of them like they need to be held accountable we have a couple of comments I know it's like 12 now um John said on the 100% on the ass whooping however masculinity is defined as quote the glad acceptance of sacrificial responsibility end quote that is sometimes confused for being a robot or 
to show any weakness and suffering. Yeah. Um, Kat said that, yeah, father's doing the, sh the same shit. That's whenever you were talking about um, the nuclear family, like breaking down or just like families breaking down. She also said it takes a village. I agree. Um, and that men are not acting like men. Jose said, absolutely. I think that was the same time you were talking about the families as well. Kat says, as far as the cops, they need to know the community. That's the way um, when Joe from the West Street had a manic breakdown, they understand. Or when Mr. James kicking his wife ass, yep, and they in turn kill him. Um, yeah. Great point, Steve. Fuck them fumes. Yeah, that was, ugh. Um, yes, Steve, exactly right. Yep, bottom of the pole. Um, I wish I'll own her. Yeah, fuck shit. I believe that's what FS means. But yeah, so a lot of people are agreeing with you. I think that makes sense about what you're saying about people being held accountable from the top down. For me, I think that I don't know what it looks like in police academies, but I feel that just as a community period, as a society period, there is a lot of detachment and disconnect. And I think that, yeah, if we were like, if the, if each police systems, you know, or any systems were in the situation where we as a community acted as like, you know, a village, like of people, then, oh fuck, FS for sure, yeah. <laughs> My bad, thank you. I was like, fuck shit. Um, but yeah, that, that would make a difference because to so many points that you've made, yeah, like we would be, the police, I believe that what you said is true. I think that that's true of military too. And I think that you pointed out whenever you spoke about like dating one, like there's the sense, like this need to control things, right? Like you want to know where you were. He showed up at your house. Like he showed up at your job. And I think that you're spot on when you said it's because, you know, they come from these homes where like, we, we create what we need, whether that's healthy or not. And I think that that is what has happened in, you know, and that's like these systems where like they go to the military, they go to the police because yeah, they didn't get that. And the ways that they are expressing their emotion, anger is accepted. Violence is accepted. Mm -hmm. It's accepted for you to get pissed off at a football game and yell at the TV, right? However, it's not necessarily accepted for a man to cry. I mean, things are like getting more normalized in that sense, but for them to cry because like they're hurt or they're upset, but it is accepted for them to be pissed off. I dated a guy who, whenever he found out that someone in his family passed away, he immediately like punched the counter and I'm like, interesting response. But like, I, I was self-aware enough. Too close for you to be like, pal, um, we're going to be in here knuckling. Like, don't forget yeah. him. Yeah, he was like across the room, but yeah, I I was like, that's, that's oh, too, too close, yeah. too close, <laughs> too close. Yeah, and so, but I think that to your point, like they have these traumas, we all do, and I think that since for men that is considered an acceptable outlet, that that's how it happens, and that at the end of the day, we all just want to be seen and heard, and when that doesn't happen, people get pissed off about it, we get resentful, we shut ourselves down, and therefore we take what's inside of us and we start to project it out into the world around us. And that oftentimes looks like us not accepting others and us hating others because really we don't accept and we hate ourselves. Yeah. I think like, um, like John made a comment about anger is an emotion. It is, it is an emotion and it's an emotion that fuels a lot of maladaptive behavior. And so like, so often we don't teach men how to deal with their anger. Um, and they just react. And so a lot of times, you know, anger is not a bad emotion. And I think the, the I think 
psychology needs to communicate that like anger is not a bad emotion it is a natural emotion it is it is part of who we are the behavior that is exhibited from anger is is the is the bad part the bible says be angry but sin not um the sin part comes when you do some fuck shit after you've been angry like be angry think about how you feel sit in your shit deal with it and then you move on or you say i don't know how to deal with this anger and you get help and i think so often especially in the military and in militarized institutions like the police and the military we do not have support systems for these men that that don't know how to deal with fear stress and anxiety and you know so often we just we just expect them to get over it and so you know my dad was in the military and he was not an angry man. Like he didn't see, I'm, he didn't see some shit, but like, he was not an angry man. Like I've seen him get angry. Um, and I've, I've experienced his anger, but he has never like, he's never hit any of his kids out of anger. He never, like, he never did anything. I've never seen him really do anything out of anger. Like maybe one or two arguments, but like, that's just, he knew how to deal with his, he, he was able to accept his feelings and say, you know what, I'm angry. I don't want to talk about it right now. Or if you want to talk about it, I'm be yelling angry, but I'm not going to exhibit those physical behaviors that could potentially harm someone. And so often, like I've seen it, cops will argue with somebody. They'll argue with somebody who's gotten pulled over, um, which I don't think, you both on wrong. They're both parties are wrong. I feel like all right. Like I've seen people get a ticket and they'll argue with the cop. And if the cop is wrong, then I'm, I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna be like, I think you're wrong, and I'll get your badge number. And then I'm gonna fight that ticket. I'm not gonna argue with somebody that got a gun. That's like arguing with a drug dealer. I'm not gonna argue with no drug dealer. You got a gun. Now what I will do is I will go to court and I will handle that situation differently and if it needs to we'll we'll i can see you outside when you out the out the uniform um because that's just the type of person i am but um in the moment i'm not gonna argue with no cop and at the same time as a cop to de-escalate the situation why are you arguing with somebody who's in the wrong give them a ticket and if they want to show their ass be like you know what all right that's fine handle it there are other ways of handling situations especially in traffic stops like people like my whole thing is i don't understand why cops stop people in traffic i feel like if they're a hazard to someone's health like they're swerving and they're speeding and they could potentially cause danger then yes stop them but if they like doing some fuck shit like they ran a light get that you get their license plate send them a ticket i think that's like, the power thing i think that they are looking to <clears throat> pick a fight so that they True. have and a so reason and just calls to like right. and you you get out the car and you like i'm giving you a ticket and then they like what the fuck you pull me over for and so you got all this anger between these two these two people and it causes stress and anxiety and it's like as a police officer you are expected to serve you are expected to be the the calm individual and these cops don't be calm i'm like then what the fuck are you here for? If you just going, like my whole thing is you're just inciting more chaos. Then there's no point in you being a police officer. If that's the case, we just police, every, everybody police themselves. I get a gun and a badge. You get a gun and a badge. Give me a taser and a nightstick. Because if that's the case, if we're, if we're not going to have any professional decorum, then what's the, what is the, what is the thing that separates you from criminals? And that's the thing. I feel like that, that is the thing that I think 
these lawyers, these judges, these juries don't see. They see the badge, they see the uniform, and they respect the uniform, but they don't, they don't accept the behavior. They don't accept that it's wrong, that you're doing the same fuck shit that criminals are doing, and you need to be treated like a criminal. Because, okay, just because I don't have the uniform on, and, that, and that's the thing. I feel like if, if I'm not a police officer and I do some fuck shit, and a police officer does the same fuck shit, I'm going to be like under the under the jail and the police officer is going to get off on it. And that has been a system in America. And it's like, at some point we have to say, all right, well, it has to change. And it's not because it's financially lucrative because the prison industrial complex and because it puts, puts men on top. And it's like, all right, well, I don't even really know how to fix that. Like, all I can say is like, it starts with a, like the only, we can't fix the old system. The system is what it is. All we can do is say, all right, let's start training these boys to be better men. Because If we treat them with respect and dignity and love and care and support, they're going to grow up with that. And they're going to expect that in any environment that they go into. So if I have 10 little boys that I'm a, I, I mentor and I coach and I su- provide support, love, care, um, empathy, understanding, and they get that in them, and they start to exhibit those behaviors. When they, if they say five of them say, I want to be cops, they're going to get into the space and they're going to be like, that ain't what I learned. And to an extent, you're going to have to compromise because of your job. There is some compromise, but some things you just aren't going to compromise on. Things when it comes to dignity, respect, honor, um, loyalty, and, and human life, you're not going to compromise on that. And I think that is the issue because we as a community, we as a people, we as Americans, we don't value life. We all willy-nilly with it. Now, I am not one to even talk about a woman's choice. That is your choice. You do what the fuck you want to do. I do feel like as a whole, we are so hell-bent on trying to control other people's lives rather than controlling our own. Yeah. And in that sense, we're careless about the ideology of life. Like, at the root, root of it, it, there's choice. And I feel like cops take away the choice, politicians take away the choice, these institutions take away choice. And it's like, you cannot do that. It's wrong. And it's like, all right, like, our, our ideology of how we value life has to change. Like, my thing is this. If we're going to demonize, let's say, we'll talk about abortion. If you want to demonize abortion, if you're going to demonize uh, transgender uh, lives, I feel like then we need to demonize plastic surgery. Um, All elective surgeries need to be banned. Um, I feel like shut all that shit down. Like if you, I feel like too much of America picks and chooses what's evil and what's right. And it's like you whatever does not fit in the narrative of the American dream and the American values, it's just, it's demonized. And hey, change it. 
Like, we have to fix it. And so, like, I feel like the only reason why America is trying to change is because America looks bad right now. Because the world is like, ooh, you racist. That is an understatement. They like, ooh, y'all really don't like black people. We knew y'all ain't like black people. We know no now, and it's on tape. So it's like, oh, like, oh, y'all doing that fuck shit from the 1950s where y'all stringing niggas up again? So it's like, oh, y'all been doing this the whole time when y'all said y'all wasn't? Y'all, y'all, you know, and that's the thing. Everybody cries America's a hypocrite, but now they can see America's a hypocrite. And that's the only reason why America is changing, because America does not like to look bad. Right. When they killed that, that uh, journalist over in uh, wherever it was in the Middle East, they was like, don't be coming over here telling us what we can and cannot do when y'all over there, when y'all cops is killing black people. Y'all doing the same shit that we did. We ain't like what he said. Y'all ain't like what they said. We killed him. Y'all killed them. It ain't, no, it ain't nothing wrong. So now America's like, oh, well, they calling us on our fuck shit. So now we got to change. No, you call yourself on your fuck shit. You did something wrong. So stop doing it. Don't do it because somebody saw you do it. Do it because it's wrong. Right. I think that's the definition of integrity. And as a nation, like, we're really out of integrity right we, now. Integrity, we don't buy you lives. We trying to control people. My, my goal for 2021, mind your fucking business. I mind all my business. And the only business that I mind is the people who's, who I'm t directly tied to. So my nieces, my nephews, my parents, and I still try to mind my business. Like, unless it's some fuck shit and their life's in danger, I mind my business. I got too much shit on my own plate to deal with. I'm not trying to mind your business, too. So, Lars, hold on. Oh, Lars, thank you. You gave me, you gave me a name. I was like, L.E.J. the third. All right. Whenever you're talking about the traffic interactions, yeah, traffic interactions with police don't need to get as bad as they do. It's so easy to just give somebody a ticket and be on your way. They go left for general traffic stops. Yeah. And that's the thing. You can literally, like, if that's the case, like, I feel like they, they have enough technology out here now we're like all right if somebody's speeding you have the speed gun the speed gun should be able to read the license plate you tag the license plate you give them a ticket and then when the ticket comes to mail that that there's so much bullshit like the only time you should be stopping somebody in a traffic stop is if they're drunk or if if they're perceived as being drunk because they're swerving and you need to tread carefully with somebody that's swerving because if you scare them they can hit they can hit somebody and hurt somebody if you get them to pull over you need to see, is it an emergency or is you drunk? All right, if you're drunk, you put their ass in the back and you let them sleep it off. Like, but if they were just speeding, you'd be like, yo, stop speeding. And, then, and you say, I'm going to give you a ticket. And you walk away. Like, there's so many other ways. Technology has been so much that there don't need to be as much interactions with the police. Well, that's why I don't get about, so, uh, Dante's case. Like, they put him over for an air freshener. And then he was scared and like got what we assume, but he got in the car and drove off. Why would you need to use a taser or a gun or anything fucking else? You know who he is. That's why you pulled him over. You know he has like warrants out. Like you can go get him later. Like <sighs> Lars also said that <laughs> you'd be trying to mind my business too. Lars, Lars is my older cousin. He's a client. He we both be in each other's business. So shut up, Lars. Anyway. Why are you on my gram? Mind your business. He's on my gram. You're on, you're on mine. Your gram is my gram. Anyway. Um, <laughs> He's minding my business too it's right now. Even soul searching and squats. <laughs> um, no, it it, 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 there is a serious problem within American policing. Um, and I think the root 
of it, the communities have to get involved. They have to seriously say, you know what? We're not taking this shit no more. Start really holding these cops accountable and saying, okay, how can we create a cohesive partnership between the two of us? Because we are not going to let you keep killing our kids. Like the, like the, and I feel like even in Philadelphia, like violence is ridiculously high in Philadelphia. And it's like, what the fuck are y'all doing? What are you cops doing to, 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 to like, my thing is this, either y'all going to police properly or you're not going to police at all. Because in Philadelphia is literally like the wild, wild west. Like, I don't know what the hell they're doing with what the police are doing. Because I mean, the amount of killings that have occurred, I think we're the highest in the nation in Philadelphia. It used to be like Chicago. And now Chicago is like number four, like number six. Like Philly is top of the line. And it's like, what the, what are y'all doing? Y'all are the highest police, uh, one of the highest paid police district, policing companies in America. So that means y'all get, y'all have decent pay. So y'all incentivized to do a good job. Um, y'all have the funding and the resources and the technology to do your job. Why are you not doing your job? And then secondarily, it's the, it's, it's, the, it's the partnership with the communities because a lot of the shit that goes on in Philadelphia is based in communities. Like it's rare for like South Philly to be beefing with North Philly to be beefing with West Philly. Usually it's very territorial. Like Philly is set up so that like South Philly stays with South Philly, North Philly stays with North Philly. We never really have like cross city gangs getting into shit. It's usually like little squabbles, but now it's like communities are like, are like imploding on themselves and it's like what the hell are you cops doing i wonder if that's pandemic related because we've been under quarantine for a year now but then it's like okay well if we if we want to police in america properly then we need to engage social and psychological services because a lot of time like de-escalation is is the number one uh should be the number one tool in a police officers arsenal learning how to de-escalate a situation needs to be paramount not escalating it by being aggressive saying okay calm down like like, how can we work it out let's let's figure out what's going on like because that needs to be the at the forefront of their mind de-escalating the situation so that you can disperse everybody and really get to the root cause of what the issue is because so often a police officer comes up to break up a fight and they exacerbate the situation because people get angry, they get excited. So then it's like, well, fuck you, I'm gonna kill you. And fuck you, I'm gonna kill you. And then it just goes like completely left. And then these kids, they walk away and then they simmering in their anger. They're pissed off at the police officer. So you just exacerbated a situation that's gonna cause more strife and chaos in the community. And the fuck shit is that they go to fuck home and they go to sleep in they nice fucking houses. But we still gotta live in these communities where um, we were struggling with gentrification. We have these corporate sharks coming in and demolishing our communities. They're not rebuilding any, rebuilding any of um, the infrastructure. Philadelphia's on that fuck shit. I'm going to just say it because this 10-year abatement bullshit is ridiculous. They're not. So you come into Philadelphia, you get a 10-year tax abatement on your property. So you don't have to, you, you get a discount on your taxes. So that money isn't, the, the city is not seeing that money for years down the line. So that means that parks and recreation, education, and infrastructure for communities is 10, 20 years pushed down the line. And it's like, how do you expect black communities and minority communities to get any better when you don't have any infrastructure? There's no fucking money. And then you spending bullshit $65 million on some fucking fans and pieces of wood to get our kids back into schools that got asbestos? You're fucking crazy. 
So, like, the whole thing is, like, it's it's not just, I can't say that it's just the police. Right. They, for Philadelphia, it is an infrastructure system issue. The mayor is a piece of shit. City is a piece of shit. Um, the police officer is a piece of shit. Um, our community leaders are pieces of shit. Because if we, and you know what? I'm responsible as well. I can't call them pieces of shit if I'm not doing anything. So it's like, okay, well, what are you doing to make the situation better? So I do a lot of mentoring. So Lars actually is super big into mentoring. Him and um, our cousin Emil, like they are big into leadership and mentoring because we understand that preparing the next generation is paramount um, to the sustenance and the maintain and maintaining our, our culture. And it's things that is rules, regulations, is ideologies, and it's, it's, it's wisdom that's passed down from generation to generation by word of mouth. And we can only do that by interacting with these kids and keeping them off the street and giving them a resource to let out their anger, their frustration, and, and, and a resource to deal with their trauma. So often, these kids don't have any outlet. So the only outlet is the engagement with the police, and that is not acceptable. Yeah, I think that a lot of times too, and Kat said it, um, you know, start talking to the officials. And yeah, I agree. I think that, you know, to some extent, it seems sort of like helpless because these people are already there, like they've already been elected. I think what a lot of people don't consider and don't realize is like, oh, we need, you know, to make sure we do this for president, this for governor, this for like the Senate. But it really starts to, you know, what we've kind of been harping on in the local communities and it really starts like on a smaller scale because like a bunch of small changes is when we are going to have this big like all-encompassing like cascading impact and so i think that yeah like it's important to speak to your officials to make sure that you're registered to vote and also to you know if you're able like get out there and speak yourself trayvon martin's mom became like she ran for office and she was elected and so she's you know doing not that like you know it's her job or her responsibility but i think that whenever we see a need that it is oftentimes easy for us to sit and have a conversation about it but it is something differently different entirely whenever we actually take action and do something about it we can talk all day but until the actions start it's very much something that you know it, it's kind of like what's a facade in itself like if we're not just taking the action and i'm present to action you know, I'm not saying everyone has to like run for office, but I'm saying, you know, listening to these conversations and actually having them with those in your life, those are two different things. Right. Like posting on social media, not everyone's comfortable doing that. And I'm present to that. And at the same time, it's also at a point where I would be personally embarrassed if some of my friends saw that I wasn't saying something, saw that mm -hmm. I was just like turning a blind eye because let's be honest, I'm white. Like I can't, like I have that privilege. Right. And so I think that I think that's the thing that I think that's why why our our relationship is so healthy, because um, you're present. Like, it's hard to be present in something that you understand or that you don't completely feel like you can voice an opinion on, um, because a lot of my white friends, uh, well, most of my female white friends, my white male friends, they just be like, they don't say nothing at all. They just they just look sad. And I'll be like, it ain't shit really you could say. So just, you know, um, but I appreciate the solidarity. Um, but like my, my, my wife and my friends, they're, they're very present in trying to educate themselves and their partners. Um, and 
they do have the privilege of being able to make the change because their face is more accepted. Um, but I think that the biggest thing is the presentness and willingness to accept responsibility for their for your culture. Like saying, you know, I'm a part of a culture that does a lot of harm and causes a lot of trauma. And I want to do my best to make it right. And that is what presentness is, is being accountable and responsible. And so, you know, we have a healthy relationship because we can have that dialogue and we can talk about it and say, okay, like, I don't understand this. Explain this to me. And a lot of times, you know, uh, people of color don't have the words to articulate how we feel and what is actually going on in our communities and we we don't really even know how to articulate how to how to how to make it work and how to how to how to help our communities because we're just stuck you figure if you're in a position where you're depowered and you don't have resources how you want to know how to help and especially if you're limited by time like if i'm and i can empathize because part part of it is i i all I can do is empathize because I live a very sheltered life. Um, I live in a very nice neighborhood. Um, I have a very good job. I have very good benefits. I, I, I have a very nice car. Like I, I have all these luxury things in my life that other people don't have. So I don't, and I have not had to struggle in my life. So, you know, I can, I can only talk authoritatively to a certain extent because I have lived a very privileged life when it comes to being a black man. Um, so, from my privilege, it is my responsibility to to be an example of of leadership and being president and saying, you know what, I need to help if I have the resources to help. In the same way that you're doing, you're you're making the, you're having the conversation and you're saying, okay, let me use my resource, my platform to engage and educate. And so, you know, the biggest thing for us is or within my community is saying, okay, we need to engage and educate. We need to use our platform and our resources so that we can make it better for the next generation and i think that's that's at the root of it that's all our generation wants to do we want to make it better for the next generation because if we don't fix police if we don't fix police the policing institution in america um it's only going to progressively get worse with the next generation yeah thank you for all that i i want to point out something that um came up whenever you were speaking just most recently my friend asked me if I, as a white person, and she is um, Afro-Latina, and so she asked me if I, as a white person, felt that, you know, it was a personal attack on me because people are saying, like, let's dismantle, like, white supremacy. And I think that that is something that a lot of people are using as a reason for this resistance, like, the whole, like, all lives matter thing. It's very much like, well, what about me, too? And I think that in that case, like, no, like, I do not feel it is attack, an attack on me because, well, yeah, you're right. Like, I, I'm a white person. That's not my identity in terms of, like, that's not who I am. Like, what whiteness stands for, that's not me. And I feel fine saying that. I feel strong in saying that. I feel very confident in being able to recognize that there is, you know, there, there's, it's out of balance, like, based on skin color and colorism and you know being afforded certain privileges simply because of that and mm -hmm. dismantling that doesn't take away from my experience it's just leveling the playing field i think i think white people get so sensitive about um racism because of the question if 
they have some internal bias and if they're guilty of it. I think it's the I think it's the assumption of guilt mm -hmm. when it comes to because like <clears throat> I think I, I've had conversations with some of my white friends and they're always so apologetic and so sorry. And I'm like, what are you sorry for? You haven't done anything that, you know, but they're like, but I'm sorry because there people are like this. I'm like, okay, that that's good. So the only thing you can do is educate people, educate people that are like this and you call them out on their shit, but you shouldn't be apologetic for something that you didn't do. And so I think that the pushback comes because of people assume guilt. Um, they assume like when we call it out, they're like, oh, well, you're making me guilty for something that somebody else did. No, we're making you guilty because you stand by and you watch. You're guilty of that. We're not saying that you're racist. And, they, I, and when I when I, I when I speak out against racism, I'm not saying that all white people are racist. All people are biased. Black people biased because black people got a thing against Asian people and and Jamaican got Jamaican people got a thing against Black Americans. Everybody has bias against somebody. What I'm saying is that you're responsible for keeping your bias in check. Keep your bias to yourself. Uh, and be conscious that your bias does not dictate your behavior when you are interacting with others. That's one. Two, um, the bias, uh, racism, um, it's not in every white person. But you are guilty if you sit by and you, and you don't say anything about the racism. We're not saying that. And I think that's the thing. I think that's the, the miscommunication with the Black Lives Matter movement. I the communication probably does need to change a little bit and how we unfortunately we I feel like we do have to coddle people um, in order to get them to understand because like the language that you use can be a little bit too aggressive and they and you you know you have to you got to stroke people's egos you got to like spit on a little bit to make it a little bit easier for people to understand and accept and so with with white people I, especially older white Americans I think that the issue is that they've lived through a lot of this stuff and they may feel that racism is wrong but they may be fearful of speaking out so it's how do you motivate them to speak out and sit and hold their their community counterparts accountable that could be really scary so it's giving them the tools and the resources to be able to stand up and hold their partners accountable and be responsible for their community but then also acknowledging to them like we're not calling you racist we're saying that you're allowing racist shit to occur and that is the problem. And that is all we that is all we're saying. And I think people that is the miscommunication. All white people are like, you calling me racist. No, we're not calling you racist. We're saying that you are allowing racist shit to occur. And when you don't stand up and when you don't say something, you let bad shit happen and it, it exacerbates an issue that could have been deaded by you saying something, you using your privilege and your platform as opposed to just letting it go. So do I think all white people are racist? No. Do I think white people do I think a lot of white people are, are fearful of condemning racists? Yes. And I think that is the issue. You have to say, look, all lives do matter. Presently, black lives are the ones that are danger and are endangered in the same way that Bengal tigers are endangered. Like my thing is like, the thing that kind of throws me about white people, they will value an animal's life over a black man's life. That shit throws me. I'm like, are you fucking serious? Like, Peter, seriously? Now, if Peter start, like, you know, you talk about some, some, some activation. If Peter got with Black Lives Matters and started, like, taking animals out on walks and, like, 
some shit will change. Some shit will happen because everybody loves Peter. If Peter was like, you know what? We're going to stand in solidarity with Asian Americans. We're going to stand in solidarity with Black Americans. We're going to stand in solidarity with Hispanic Americans because they're the ones who are presently affected. And if Peter said, you know what? Y'all need to value... Black people, Hispanic people, Asian lives the same way y'all value animals' lives. If That's if true. Peter if Peter got up in it, some shit happened because everybody loves. The white people do love animals. If we gave every black person a puppy, and then you and then you got the puppy with the, I guarantee you, if you had a if a, if you strapped a puppy to a black man's chest and a police officer pulled a, a gun on a puppy, you know white people gonna have a whole fit. Maybe yeah. that's what we do. we need to start handing out uh, uh, body cams and puppies to every black man in America. So then they'd be less inclined to shoot black men because they'd be like, because they know the black backlash that's going to happen. You shoot a puppy, you you will get your ass whooped, Mr. White Man, Miss Police Officer, white or black. You will catch hell because it's like like you have to, and I think that is the communicate. I think that's the part that we have to we have to do is we have to activate the institutions that have power. And we have to say, hey, why are you not speaking out against this? Why are you not activating and being a part? Of, why are you not being an advocate? Don't just be an ally. Don't be in it with me. I need you to be fighting for me. Be an advocate so that we can make effective change. Making effective change requires that you speak out and you hold the community accountable. And it's it's sad that we have to use that satirical um, uh, imagery to to show like how bad it is in america like i gotta i gotta literally live my life strapped to an animal and a body cam in order to make sure that i make it home every day and like i said it's not about making white people feel bad about racism it's making white people feel bad about not speaking out about racism yeah i like what you said don't just be an ally be an advocate because i think that that was something that came out recently within like it's not enough to just like not be racist like you need to actively be anti-racist and it's, that's all I, that is all the black lives matters movement is saying is it's saying it's not saying um you're bad because you're white or you're bad and it's not saying that all white people are racist it's saying that the problem is the silence um martin Luther king said silence to an to an extent is is you know, contempt and and it's it's you're agreeing with it. So no, you may not be racist. White people may all white people are not racist. No. But if you're silent about racism, that's a problem. Because I guarantee you, if these communities, these these white communities, they said we're not going for this shit no more. And they start dragging the shit out of these cops and they started saying, you know what, you fucking up our community, you making us look bad. If people get if Joe Osteen got mad enough and he was like, cut this shit out. He cussed them. If Joe Osteen got to, got to cussing these police officers out the same way Kirk Franklin was cussing his son out, I guarantee you that uh, a lot of the fuck shit that goes on with these police officers will stop. Yeah. But it, it, oh, go ahead. It just takes one person with the platform, uh, a big enough platform, to say, cut it out. Yeah. To your point about white people, if they would like get pissed off, I think that that's one thousand percent true. Because look at the Dakota Access Pipeline. They were going to put it through a white neighborhood and they were like, nay, nay. And so they're like, let's just put it through Native American reservation. Like, same concept in terms of like, yeah, if white people make a noise, then I think that, yeah, like it, it for some reason it's heard. And I think it was the quote that you were talking about. It's the one that's like, um, it's not like the, the voice of the enemies, but the silence of like the neighbors. 
concept. It. Oh, I have to go, but thanks for the conversation. Thank you for being here. You've been here a while. Thank you for listening. Um, it's, um, in the end, we will remember the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. Freedom yeah. is never given by the oppressor. It must be demanded by the oppressed. We must learn to live together as brothers or perish together as fools. And um, it was talking, his quote was specifically saying how um, silence is equal to betrayal. Mm -hmm. If you say, and this is my thing, like, and this is where I think, you know, uh, I have a couple of uh, friends who are on, um, like, local council within communities um, where, you know, having the discussion with them and saying, hey, we need to activate more people in your, in your community so that it doesn't look like betrayal. Because if more white people in urban communities, be, if this is my thing, if you're going to live in a community that is currently being gentrified and you say that you're not trying to put white, black people out, then it is your responsibility to say, cut that fuck shit out with the gang wars and the bullshit violence. Like start holding, like being accountable and saying, you know what, We're, hold the police accountable, hold these communities accountable, hold city council accountable and say, look, you guys need to do something about this. Black people cannot do it alone. We have been carrying America for way too fucking long. And it is like, we need help. And that is, that is all that these organizations are asking for, is that, that the police, that these large institutions, um, these schools, these churches, these businesses, be a partner. That's all they're asking for is be a partner. And like, not, not a partner, be an advocate. Work with us, help carry the load. Because it's like, we're carrying everything. We can't, we can't do it. Oh, and it's the same thing. And it's not just it's not just about race. It's about everything. Carry the load when it comes to transgender rights. Carry the load when it comes to gay rights. Carry the loads when it comes to women's rights. I have very conflicted feelings about like um uh President Biden's new law about like law of um transgender rights i don't feel like i as long my thing is i feel like everybody should get their rights as long as those rights don't infringe on anybody else women's rights shouldn't infringe on transgender rights transgender rights shouldn't infringe on women's rights gay rights shouldn't infringe on heteronormative rights and heteronormative rights shouldn't infringe on you know gay rights i feel like everybody has their own shit as long as everybody's minding fucking business and nobody is hurting anybody else i feel like it's fine but the moment that we start to pass laws that affect um affect and isolate communities is when it starts to be a problem and so we're so big on trying to do everything by ourselves and do everything singularly um to benefit one community that's when we start to have a downfall yeah. and that's the problem because we're trying to do it all by ourselves we're trying to we're the gay community is fighting one thing the asian community is fighting one thing uh the black community is fighting one thing the trans community is fighting one thing if everybody was like you know what we're just going to get together and we just want to fight fuck shit all together a lot of the stuff that's going on would stop if black lives matter paired up with um the asian lives matter movement i don't know if that's what they call it, but like you know if they paired up with the asian rights movement and they said y'all gonna stop this violence against asian people and the asian people was like y'all gonna stop police y'all gonna stop this violence against uh black people if black lives matter people uh, got in line with transgender movement and said, look, y'all gonna stop like harming black trans lives um, and trans lives got with Black Lives Matters. Well, they with Black Lives Matters. But like, if everybody supported everybody in the way that they were supposed to, a lot of the shit that we're dealing with, it would just cease. And like, I, I truly believe Kat. that. We, we gotta do it together. Yeah, Kat said, that's hard, Steve. I love you. 
I love you bad, Trina. I think that, yeah, you're right. There was a comedian, I can't think of her name right now, but I can see her face. And she spoke about um, women specifically one time when she was like, yeah, like, you know, feminists, one like group is talking about like, let's get the nipple on Instagram. And I'm like, I mean, I'm for the calls, but like, don't we have other things to focus on here? And I think that that's like a great point or a great example of like what you were just saying in terms of like, you know, organizing, like there's so much. I think that the internet has been like a great blessing in terms of like bringing a lot of light to things. And yeah, like at the same time, we have been celebrating, I think like these specific like things that are individual to each of us and mm -hmm. in the celebration of those things, we've gotten really comfortable with those communities. And so instead of like, you know, learning how to like organize as a one, as one whole, we're still kind of in that stage where we're like really enjoying like being comfortable as like who we are. Mm -hmm. And, you know, no one taught us how to have like conflict. Like whenever we, and I spoke about this, you know, with a client like recently this morning, no one taught us how to have conflict. If you think about it for most of us growing up, if we were in a situation where, you know, conflict arose, it was very much like go to your room, right? And so what that has conditioned us to do over years is that whenever there's conflict, we just walk away and leave it alone. Mm -hmm. And that's not to blame anyone. It's just the state of where we are. Yes, it is. Someone told us how to have these conversations. As parents, and and everybody's parents did like did them a disservice by not teaching them how to deal with conflict, how to deal with conflict, and deal with it in a peaceful manner, and a re and and focus on resolution. Like the like you said, like so often parents tell them, "Oh, just walk away. You're bigger than them." Like, no, we gonna sit here and deal with it, and that's the problem. So often we just we walk away from it, and it's like we get a little win, like you said, and then we accept it, and we're like, "Oh, well, we got a little win." You get a gay show on TV, you get a positive gay character, you get more trans characters on TV. And it's like, all right, yes, representation is great, but that is not enough. Representation does not equate to a quality of life. And it's like, we as a community have to say, okay, there is more that we should, we, we require. And that, and it's not even that we require, that we demand. Like, with women's rights, like, we have to activate more to say, okay, it is a woman's right to choose to do what the fuck she wants to do with her body, and it's not a white. It is not a white old white man's or old black man because it's always it's always like two old uh, white men with one black man, and they all like eighty, and they got like these very heteronormative old churchy time views on the woman's body. And uh, shut the fuck up, you barely can get your dick up anyway. So like, worry about that. Um, I feel like it is really important that we start to activate for the pain points in our community, women's rights, abortion, um, um, preventative care. Um, like I just read a, a study that 60% of women um, post postpartum um, experience long-term health effects because of the lack of care that they get. Um, I think it's like 30% are white women 40% are black women. And then like black women have the highest rate of mortality um, out of that 60%. And that's in Philadelphia alone. And it's like, why is this not something that we're activating about? Like, why is this not something that is a, uh, like pain point in a sense, like this is something that is, is serious and is detrimental to our communities. And it's not just, and I'm not just saying it about um, black women. 
I'm saying it about all women, period, because most of my clients are, are women. A lot of them, 40% of my clients are moms. And a lot of them have misinformation about um, postpartum wellness, how to take care of their bodies, how to retrain their core, how to retrain their pelvic floor. They're always complaining about peeing on themselves. Like, how do you tighten up your walls? How do you, how, what is the proper self-care? And it's a matter of these doctors giving the information and activating effectively so that women survive. And it's like, America just not, just did not care about women enough. And it's like, all right, that is an issue that we need to activate about. Then the same way that America's activating against the police for black black lives. We we can't pick and choose. We can no longer pick and choose what is relevant to us and what is important to us. It all has to be important. We all have to work collectively and say, we're going to stop the fuck shit with women. We're going to stop the fuck shit with trans lives. We're going to stop the fuck shit with black lives. We're going to stop the fuck shit with Asian lives. We're just going to stop the fuckery all together. And we do it together. And and the the one thing that American politicians understand is division. They keep us divided. They give you a piece. They give you a piece. They give you a piece. And each piece is different in size and value. And it keeps the 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 it keeps everybody envious of each other. Right. That comparison. And it's like, okay, well, Asian people got this, but black people don't have this. But black people got this, but Asian people don't got this. And then it's like, okay, white people got everything but everybody else don't got nothing. And it keeps that, it, it keeps, and then, and it, uh, what is it? Um, it? The Bible says, there's always enmity between the flesh and the spirit. It keeps all this chaos going between our cultures and between our our, 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 our people. And it's like, all right, at some point, you got to stop the fuck shit and stop the chaos and, and just stop saying, okay, well, let me share what I got. That way is no division because I share my resources, you share your resources, we work together, and then we stop the bullshit with these politicians and say, look, do your job. Yeah. All right, sir. We're going, we're coming up on a long time. A long time. Yeah. Do we have any closing thoughts? Do we have more to say? I mean, there's a ton more to say, but for now. No, I, I just, I, I, the biggest thing is for me, I'm going to, I, I'm going to start activating by being a better mentor and, and like really working with community organizations to educate these youths and being a resource. Um, and even as going as far as like start activating with the police liaisons to figure out how we can support our communities together and, and we can work cohesively. Like, I think it's a big part as a coach. I think it is my duty as a trauma informed coach. I think it's my duty to, um, use my resource and my platform to educate police officers. Oh, hold on, I can't hear you. Your sound went out. Can anyone else hear him? Where'd your sound go? Say something now? No. Nope, can't hear you. I don't know what happened. I know what you were saying. All right. Well, <laughs> so Stephen started talking like some good, I guess, I think that means that you got a phone call and now it's not working. Yeah. Joe says no audio. All right. Well, hey, y'all. Okay. So I will wrap us up. Um, as Stephen was saying, yeah, he's going to be getting more involved. I think that that is you know, be the change, right? And 
I personally am working, I'm going to be taking a class with an organization. Um, they're called Barn Raisers, and they are looking to help educate others on how to get initiatives started within local communities. Um, so if anyone wants information about that, let me know. Otherwise, thank you all for being here. Thank you for listening. Um, I appreciate that you took some time out of your day. Kat, this was great. Thank you. Um, I hope that this provided some insight. Um, gave you a sense and letting you know that you're not alone and that this is a difficult time. We are experiencing a shared trauma right now. And that if there is anything that, you know, you feel you need to talk to a professional about, please do reach out and do that. Um, find someone in your local community, find someone online, like the resources are available. So make sure that you are doing what is needed to take care of you. So, until next time, we will see you later. Hope everyone has a great weekend. And thank you again for being here.